For our first message today, we have a split sermon by Mr. Art Williams entitled, Bright Future with Negative Events. Mr. Williams, there you are. Okay. Thank you, Reggie. A bright future with negative events. The end of 2017. Looking back, some good things, some bad things, some crazy things. And we look to the future. Time to make New Year's resolutions. New Year's resolutions. Maybe things about eating, exercising, sleeping. Things in our lives. I got a card this week. It's one of those cards where when you, when you read the, the front of it, it says all these wonderful things about you. And you know full well when you open it up, you know what you're going to get that zinger. But it says, here's an example of what happens when people, here come the New Year's resolutions, eat right, exercise, and take care of themselves. And you open the card up and it says, they get old anyway. Sounds like something that Solomon would have written in Ecclesiastes, doesn't it? But it is the end of this year, and there was an elderly gentleman, he's in his 90s, and he used to kind of brag how he's always kept his New Year's resolutions, and he's never missed one. And so in, when inquired as to what these were, he says, well, I only ever make one, and that's never to make any New Year's resolutions. A bit of wisdom in his uh, thinking there. But there is a second resolution. I call it a resolution solution, and it's not a New Year's resolution. But it's a lifetime resolution, a lifetime to be in the kingdom of God. And it's a resolution to be there and do what we need to do to please God our Father in Jesus Christ. To do things his will, his way, and his timing. And we are going to be, in my opinion, resurrected as spirit beings, and we're going to be on the sea of glass, standing up there while the day of the Lord events are happening. But I want to review the negative aspects of the day of the Lord, because we don't talk about them much, and maybe I have this inner urge to rain on people's New Year's Day parades or something. I don't, <laughs> I don't know. But... In Amos 5.18 it says, Woe to you that desire the day of the Lord. For what good is the day of the Lord to you? It will be darkness and not light. <clears throat> Jesus said, pray thy kingdom come, not pray the day of the Lord come. He's looking past it. Past the negative events. Events that, as I mentioned earlier, we probably won't at all be subject to and don't have to worry about. But we need to remember them so we don't lose that knowledge and that understanding. So I thought it was a good time to review that. Starting in Matthew 24, 29, <clears throat> Jesus says, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven and the powers of heaven will be shaken. 
powers of heaven. What are the powers of heaven? Gravity, centripetal force, centrifugal and centripetal force. They balance each other. So if the earth goes around the sun. <clears throat> Heat, light, powers of heaven. And we're going to go back through Isaiah here in a minute. And we're going to see how some of those powers of heaven are dealt with and the effects of how he is going to uh, work these powers in heaven and how they're going to uh, change. In Revelation 6, 12, and 13, it says, I looked down when he opened the sixth seal, and behold, there's a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of, of hair, and the moon became like blood, and the stars of heaven fell to the earth as a fig tree drops its late figs when it's shaken by a mighty wind. And that is my, kind of my intro, introduction back into Isaiah 13.6. Isaiah has quite a bit to say about the events that go on during the day of the Lord because the six, the, with the sixth seal starts the day of the Lord. <clears throat> and it's interesting that the people at the time see things that are going on and they recognize it and they hide. So whatever they see is going to be very ominous, very unusual, very negative and I suspect it's probably the sea of glass but I, obviously that's speculation. And there's nothing wrong with speculation in some cases. Speculation in the hope of the kingdom and the good things that it's going to bring are good and inspiring. But if you get into um, speculating about some of the symbology in Revelation, sometimes those speculations become hardcore beliefs and can lead people down the wrong path. Anyway, starting in Isaiah 13, verse 6. Wail, for the day of the Lord is at hand. It shall come as a destruction from the Almighty. Therefore shall all hands be faint, and every man's heart shall melt. You're not going to have a lot of strength on this uh, at time when you see these events happening. That's why men hide in the caves because they don't know what else to do. And we're going to talk about developing, for us, developing strength uh, a little later. And it says, they shall be afraid. Pains and sorrows shall take hold of them, and they shall be in pain like a woman that travails. They shall be amazed at one another. Their faces shall be as flames. Behold, the day of the Lord comes, cruel, both with wrath and fierce anger, to lay the land desolate, and he shall destroy the sinners out of it. For the stars of heaven and the constellations thereof shall not give their light, and the sun shall be darkened. And we read this a minute ago back in Revelation. And it's going forth, and the moon shall not cause its light to shine. And I will punish the world for its evils. And that's one of the reasons I don't believe that we will be on this earth. We will already have been resurrected. Because these activities are to punish the world, not punish the church. For its evils and its wickedness, and its wicked for, their, for iniquity. I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity. And I will cause the arrogance of the proud to cease and lay low the haughtiness of the terrible. And boy, we see a lot of that in our politics around the world today. 
I will make man more rare than fine gold. That's pretty scary. I will make man more rare than fine gold. Even a man than the golden wedge of Ophir. Therefore I will shake the heavens and the earth shall remove out of its place. That is a terrifying event. When you think in terms of shaking the powers in heaven. There's an energy that causes the earth to, and I alluded to it earlier, the forces that balance that cause the earth to go around the sun. But there's an energy behind that. It's like if you take a tennis ball and you put it on a string and you turn it and you swirl around like that. As long as you keep your energy level going into that, that'll maintain a constant velocity. If you put more energy in it, you can speed it up. Take less energy out of it, it'll slow up. And you take all energy away, it falls to the ground. So it appears he's going to be playing with the energy levels and the forces of gravity and those forces that we just mentioned. And the earth shall remove out of its place in the wrath of the Lord and in the day of his fierce anger. That is just an amazing, to me, just an amazing statement. It's, it's indelibly etched into my mind. And it shall be like, and it shall be like a chaste roe, like a sheep that has no man taketh up. Then shall every man turn to his own people and flee everyone into his own land. I don't know if that's referring to a racial hatred that is an outcropping of this fear that man has. When men act out of fear, they project the cause of that fear onto many different entities, and it can be other people. And so that might be an allusion, alluding to the fact of, of, of racial hatred and racial bigotry. And Isaiah, do I want to go any further? Well, in verse 15, let's go to verse 15. I was gonna, not going to read that, but I will. Everyone that is found shall be thrust through, and everyone that is joined onto them shall fall by the sword. And their children shall be dashed to pieces before their eyes, and their houses shall be spoiled, and their wives ravished. It's a pretty bleak picture. And if we go over to Isaiah 24, we get kind of some more of the same thing. Isaiah 24, we'll start in verse 1. 24. Behold, the Lord makes the earth empty and makes it waste and turns it upside down and scatters abroad the inhabitants thereof. <laughs> That's pretty profound. I... I'm sure it's some degree of uh, metaphor here, but turning the, up, the world upside down and scattering the inhabitants thereof. Um, I just can't begin to imagine uh, what this will be like, but it will be terrifying to those that are not on the sea of glass. And I'm sure a lot of people are going to turn their lives around because of it. Continuing in verse 2. And it shall be as with the people, so with the priest, as with the servant, so with his master, as with the maid, 
So with her mistress, and with the buyer, and with the seller, and with the lender, and with the borrower, and with the taker of interest, and, who he, and he who gives of interest. So in other words, it's going to affect everybody. It doesn't matter whether you're a priest or a servant, or a master or a mistress, or a buyer or a seller or a lender be, you're going to be in the midst of it. The land shall be utterly emptied and utterly spoiled, for the Lord has spoken this word. And the earth mourns and, and fadeth away, and the world languishes and fades away, and the haughty people of the earth do languish. The earth also is defiled under the inhabitants thereof, because they have transgressed the laws, changed the ordinances, broken the everlasting covenant. Therefore, the curse devours the earth, and they that dwelleth therein are desolate. Therefore, the inhabitants of the earth are burned, and few men left. As we read earlier, man will be made as rare as fine gold. Let's continue with verse 10. And the city of confusion is broken down, and every house is shut up, that no man may come in. There's a crying for wine in the streets, and all joy is darkened, and the mirth of the land is gone. In the city is less desolation, and the gate is smitten with destruction. When thus it shall be in the midst of the land among the people, there shall be as the shaking of an olive tree and as the gleaming of the grapes when the vintage is done. Continuing in verse 17. Fear and the pit and the snare are upon you, O inhabitants of the earth. This is Isaiah 24, verse 17. Continuing in 18. And it shall come, come to pass that he who flees from the noise of the fear, so they're afraid of the noise. They're going to be afraid of what they see. They're going to be afraid of what they hear. And it shall come to pass that he who flees from the noise of the fear shall fall into the pit. And he that comes up out of the midst of the pit shall be taken in the snare. For the windows from on high are open and the foundations of the earth do shake. The foundations of the earth do shake. We get back to uh, impacts upon the entire globe. And we think in terms of the earthquakes that they're talked about and the events of this and happens in the suns and the stars. And it's just uh, uh, a terrifying event. The earth is utterly broken down. The earth is thoroughly dissolved and the earth is moved exceedingly. The earth shall re reel to and fro like a drunkard. You know how a drunkard, you know, you see the police shows, police then tells the drunk to walk a straight line, walk a straight line. Okay, sir. How am I doing? No. What the impact of that will be to the people on earth when the earth is staggering like a drunkard is probably not describable. <clears throat> the earth shall reel to and fro like a drunkard and shall re 
be removed like a booth, and the transgressions, transgressions, transgressions thereof shall be heavy upon it, and shall fall, and not rise again. And it shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall punish the hosts of the high ones that are on high, and the kings of the earth upon the earth. And they shall be gathered together as prisoners are gathered together in the pit, and shall be shut up in the prison, and after many days they shall be visited. Interesting word, the visited. Different translation have different words for that. It, if we go over to Psalm 149, we're going to find a little bit more about this imprisonment. Psalm 149, it's right near the end of the book. Sounds like we just had a baptism. What, Psalm 149, and praise you the Lord. Sing unto the Lord a new song and praise his praises in the congregation of the saints. Let Israel rejoice in him who made him. And let the children of Zion be joyful in their king. Let them praise his name in the dance. Oh, we haven't gotten there yet. Maybe that's something to try some some point. Let them praise him in his name in the dance and sing praises unto him with the thimble and the harp. For the Lord takes pleasure in his people and he will beautify the meek with salvation. Let the saints be joyful in glory. Let them sing aloud upon their beds. Let the high places of God be in their mouths and the two-edged sword in their hand. Continuing in verse 7, to execute vengeance upon the nations and to punish upon the people punishments upon the people, to bind their kings with chains and their nobles with fetters of iron, to execute upon them the judgment written, this is the, this honor have all the saints. Praise you the Lord. The saints have the honor to execute vengeance upon the nations and punish the peoples, to bind their kings with chains and their nobles with fetters of iron, and to execute upon them the written judgments. Something that you will be doing when you return with Jesus Christ. We'll read about that a little later too. We turn over to Isaiah 34, and we'll continue there. Isaiah 34. Let's start in verse 1 rather than Ryan, I told you verse 8, if we can start in verse 1. <clears throat> Come near, you nations, to hear and hearken, you people. Let the earth hear and all that is therein, that the world and all things that come forth from it. For the indignation of the Lord is upon all nations and is a fury upon all their armies. He has utterly destroyed them and has delivered them to the slaughter. The, their slain also shall be cast out, and their stench shall come up out of their carcasses, and the mountains shall be melted with their blood. And all the hosts of heaven shall be dissolved, and the heavens shall be scrolled together like a scroll. And all their hosts shall fall down 
as the leaf falls down from the vine, like a falling fig from the fig tree, for my sword shall be bathed in heaven. Shall be bathed in heaven. Behold, it shall come down upon Edom and upon the peoples, my curse to judgment. Continuing over in verse 8. For it is the day of the Lord's vengeance in the year of recompenses of the controversy of Zion. The scriptures indicate that at some point, Jerusalem, Zion, will become the centerpiece of political activity. It's interesting kind of what President Trump declared a few months back or a few weeks back. For it is the day of the Lord's vengeance in the year of recompense for the controversy of Zion. The year of recompense. There's a couple different ways you could look at that. You know, if you say this is the year of my 50th anniversary, you're designating a certain year like 2018. Or you could say it's a duration for one year. And we see this uh, scripture alluded to also in uh, Isaiah 63, verse 4. Over to Isaiah 63. For the day of vengeance is in my heart, and the year of my redeemed is come. The year of my redeemed. Again, you get the same question. Is this a designated year, like the 50th year of an anniversary, or is it designating a time frame? I suspect it's a time frame, my own opinion, and that we would be up on the sea of glass for one year. Again, ring the bell or whatever opinion. But I think it makes sense. If you've done any playing with charts, trying to figure some of this stuff out, as I did 30, 40 years ago, uh, one of the things after about three months of Bible study and trying to piece pieces together, you come to the conclusion that the first four trumpet plagues have to roll out very quickly. Absolutely have to. Otherwise, they can't fit. And the first four, what? so then you come back to the question, What's quick? In a 24-hour period or maybe in one every day for four days. But it certainly can't be four months or a half a year or four years or something like that. And with the seventh trump <clears throat> being the resurrection, it compresses everything into a very specific time frame. And I think it takes a year for all of those activities to play out when you go through them in detail. But what does this mean for us? What does it mean for us? Let's go back to Revelation 15. fifteen one. And I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having the last 
the seven last plagues, and we know which they are, for in them is filled up the wrath of God. For I saw, as it were, a sea of glass mingled with fire, and them that had gotten the victory over the beast, people that have gotten the victory over the beast, and over his image, and over his mark, the entirety of the great multitude that comes out of the tribulation, the great tribulation, and over the number of his name, standing on a sea of glass, having the harps of God. Going down to verse 5. And after that I looked and behold, the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was opened. And I saw seven angels come out of the temple, having the seven plagues closed in pure white linen, and having their breasts girded with golden girdles. And one of the four living creatures gave unto the seven angels seven golden bowls filled with the wrath of God. And the temple was filled with smoke and with the glory of God and from his power. And no man was able to enter into the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were fulfilled. And continuing over in Revelation Nineteen. We'll start in verse one. And after these things I heard a great voice of many people in heaven saying, Hallelujah, salvation, glory, and honor and power unto the Lord. For true and righteous are his judgments, for he has judged the great heart harlot who did corrupt the earth with her fornication and has avenged the blood of his saints at her hand. <clears throat> Going down to verse 6. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, and like the voice of many waters, and like the voice of mighty peals of thunder, saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Continuing in 7. And let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him. For the marriage of the Lamb is come. And his wife has made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. For the white linen is the righteousness of the saints. Continuing in verse 9. And he says unto me, Right, blessed are the they who are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said unto me, These are the true sayings of God. And jumping down to verse 11. I saw heaven open, behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were like a flaming fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name was called the Word of God. And the armies that were in heaven followed upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, linen, white and clean, just as the saints are, for they are the saints. And they will come back and administer that justice unto a world at the end of the day of the Lord. John, in 1 John 4.18, says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. 
because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. Not achieved perfect love, made perfect. It's God's working that will make us perfect in love. Perfect love casts out fear. There are elemental components, and it deserves this message all by itself, but there are elemental components of love. They involve trust, confidence, words that are synonymous with faith. And the application of faith in his will, his way, his timing, requires humility, which is probably the hardest thing for men to achieve or to understand and apply humility. Very difficult. In Hebrews 13.20, he writes, Now may the God of peace, who brought up the Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work, do his will. Again, he makes you complete in every good work. Not something that we achieve. To do his will, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And to wrap it up with Paul's words in Philippians 4, 8, Finally, brethren, because in our growth process, one of the, we have various things that we can do. All right, Focusing your thoughts is one of them. Where to focus your thoughts, coupled with what your actions are. Those two can come together. Grow you into what God wants you to be. So he says here, finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, Whatever things are lovely, whatever things are good, report. If there is any virtue, if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Don't meditate on how the end time is going to develop and whether or not he's going to protect you during the tribulation. Look past the tribulation, as Paul just said. Look past all of that, the great positive things that he's going to do. And the end result of that will be formulating perfect love. And you will stand, as Daniel's three friends did, before the fiery furnace. And you'll say, whether God chooses to save me, or whether he not chooses to save me, it does not matter. We will not bow down and follow your way. <laughs>